Have you ever heard a bad promise before? A promise where as soon as you heard it, you knew this is never going to be true, right? You've heard a promise like that before? And that's because a promise is only as good as the person who is making the promise to you. It's only as good as the one who is, who is giving their, their word to you. One of uh, the most popular movies of all time is The Wizard of Oz. Uh, and in this movie, you have Dorothy who is whisked away by a tornado, and she lands in the, Wizard of, in the, in the land of Oz, uh, and she's wanting to get back home to Kansas. And so they tell her, the one person who can help you is the wizard. You need to go to the Emerald City and see the wizard. And so throughout the movie, she's working her way toward the Emerald City, and eventually she gets there to him. Uh, and asks him to help her get back home. And he says to her, I'll be happy to help you, but here's what I need you to do first. I need you to go uh, and get the broom from the Wicked Witch of the West. He gives her this task that he knows that there's no way that she can complete. Uh, and then if she does that, then he says, yeah, I'll help you then. Well, as you know, that she goes and she is able to defeat the Wicked Witch of the West. And so she comes back to the Emerald City and she comes before the, the wizard and she says, Look, I've got the broom. I need you to, to help me now get back home. And I want you to see what happens at this moment. Do not, do not arouse the wrath of the great and powerful Oz. I said come back tomorrow. If you are really great and powerful, you'll keep your promises. Do you presume to criticize the great Oz? You ungrateful creatures, think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. Oh, the great Oz has spoken. Oh. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great and Oz has Spoken. Who are you? Oh, I, I, I am the great and powerful wizard of Oz. You are? Uh, I yes. don't believe you. No, I'm afraid it's true. There's no other wizard except me. You humbug! Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's exactly so. I'm a humbug. Oh, you're a very bad man. Mm. Do not arouse the rock. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. That's, that's kind of what happens when you get caught, right? When you, you, you can't deliver on your promise, just pay no attention to, to what I said before. And one line that she says to him is, if you were a really great and powerful, you would keep your promises. When our passage today, we're going to learn that God is exactly that. He is great and powerful, and he keeps his promises. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word if you're able. We're in Hebrews chapter 6, and we're continuing our series through the book of Hebrews. It's called A Better Hope. And today we're going to see that the Lord gives us a better promise in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. The Word of God says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them, a confirming oath ends every dispute. But because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope 
as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Thank you. You may be seated. Today as we study this passage of Scripture, the action step uh, that I want us to, to take to heart today as we apply this word into our lives uh, on this Sunday morning is this. The action step is that you would put your hope in God and not in your circumstances. That you'd put your hope in God and not in your circumstances. That you would trust in his promises and not what is happening around you. Because as we see in this passage of scripture, God has given us an unchangeable promise. The author of Hebrews here uh, reminds his hearers about the promises of God. He's continuing an argument. As you know, this, this letter to the Hebrews is really an extended argument that he makes all throughout the book. And he's continuing in this argument saying God has always been faithful to his promises. When it comes to fidelity, God is trustworthy. You can believe him. You can, you can follow him. He, he is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 tells us that God is faithful. And you were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24 the Bible says, he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. And so the author of Hebrews now begins to, to build his argument by referring to an Old Testament story. And as we said a moment ago, the thing that you're trusting in uh, is only as good as the one that's making the promise. So I, I could give you a really amazing promise, but if it's given by someone that, that you know is a liar, then that promise is worthless. But if that promise is made by someone who is reliable, then you have a valuable word that you can count on. So in verse 13, he says to us, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. He's referring to a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis in chapter 22. And there in the Old Testament, God is is, uh, has called Abraham to go and to, to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. In Genesis chapter two, 22, verse 16, God says, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son. And so God's talking here to Abraham, and this is his response to him, as he took his son to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him according to the word of the Lord. And what's important to remember about this story is the promise that God had previously made to Abraham. When you go further back into the book of Genesis, into chapter 15, in verses 5 and 6, uh, the Bible says that he took Abraham outside and he said to him, look at the sky and, and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he says to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And so Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And after God made that promise to Abraham, he sealed it to him with an oath. And that story is, is kind of a strange story to us, but it would have been familiar in the Old Testament culture. So in Genesis chapter 15, if you turn there in your Bibles, 
in verse 8, this is what he, said, what he does after he makes that promise to Abraham that his, his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. In verse 8, he says to him, Lord God, how can I know that I'm going to possess this land uh, that you have promised? He says to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, and he cut them in half, and he laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And so birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram. And suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. And the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. He's talking about the captivity in Egypt. He says, however, I will judge the nation that they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you'll go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And it says, when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. Now, as I said, this, this seems like a, a strange sort of, of scene that's happening here in Genesis, but this would have been a familiar thing for people in that culture. Because when two people were going to make an oath to one another, this is what they would do. They would make a sacrifice like this, and they would lay the halves there uh, facing one another, and the two of them that were making the oath to one another would walk between these two halves of the sacrificed animal. And, and what it signified to one another is that this is what will come of me if I don't keep my word to you. That's what it, that's what it meant. And so in this passage, we see, remember, that Abram was in a deep sleep. Uh, he, he wasn't passing between the animals. It was only the Lord that did this. And so the Lord makes this covenant himself. He makes this, this oath because there's no one greater by which to make a promise. Now, of course, Abraham and Sarah were, were barren. And so this promise seemed to be a problem that God had made to them. In Genesis chapter 18, in verses 13 and 14, the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord, he says. At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. And so Isaac is this son. Isaac is this son of promise. The one that God said, your offspring will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. The one that God had made that oath to him about. And so, this is the one through whom all these promises are going to be realized. And so, you can see the potential crisis of faith that Abraham is having here in Genesis chapter 22. When he's asked by the Lord to go and sacrifice this son on the, top, on the mountaintop. I mean, how could he sacrifice his only son. Is God going to remember his word to him? Is God going to keep his promise? That's what's at stake as he's climbing to the top of Mount Moriah. Is, the, is God going to keep his promise? And when he gets there, what happens? God provides a ram that had his head caught in a thorny thicket that would serve as a substitute sacrifice for Isaac. 
And this was, of course, a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God who had a crown of thorns on his head that served as a substitute sacrifice for the sin of the whole world on Golgotha. And so God proved that he's faithful. God proved that he keeps his word. God proved that you can count on his promises. And Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh, which means that the Lord will provide. And Abram worshipped God because he kept his promise. In Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18, God says, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command." Now, in this story, you see that God swore by himself because there's no one greater by which to swear. Because when you, when you swear by someone, what are you doing? You're trying to call them into account. You're trying to bring weight to your oath. You're trying to bring weight to your argument. And so for you, for, for you to, to swear by something, you're trying to bring them to account. And God, because there's no one greater than God, he swears by himself. And so in verses 17 and 18 of our passage this morning, it says, Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie. And so he says, God swore by himself, of whom there's no one greater. He also says, but God cannot lie. It's against his nature. And so the author of Hebrews is here saying that, these promises of God are doubly sure for you. And so the author is pointing these Jewish Christians to the promises of God. And you'll remember the occasion for this letter that, that these are, are some Jewish background Christians that are thinking about maybe going back to Judaism. They're thinking about, remember when we were little and we used to, to pr do all the practices and we'd go to the temple and we would do the ceremonial washings and we'd do all that stuff? Maybe we need to go back and do that. But what he is saying to them is that God always keeps his promises. And he has promised to save us through faith in Jesus Christ. He has promised to keep us. He's promised to provide for us. He's promised a place of eternal rest for us. He says, you can count on all of these promises because God made them. Because God made them. So he says, don't, don't look back to another time. And sometimes Christians do that also. We'll look back upon a time of, of our life that was maybe like the golden years of your walk with God. A, a time of your life where you felt like you were really close to the Lord, and, and, and you were living according to the word of God. You had deep faith in, in God's promises. Maybe that was when you were involved in a really active youth group, like these incredible students that were leading us in worship this morning. Or maybe it was when you were in college and you had a, a really close-knit community that you were a part of. Or maybe it was when a bunch of men went to, to Promise Keepers or a bunch of women went to, to some uh, women's event. And, and you felt like this was this, this time in your life that was unlike any other. But now you look at your life and you say, I don't really have that same level of devotion or that same level of commitment. I don't have that same 
faith that I once had. And I would ask you, why not? Because have the promises of God changed? Perhaps we were relying upon circumstances that were happening in our life rather than upon the Lord. Because his promises have not been found to be ungrounded. His promises are unchangeable. And because his promises are unchangeable, what he tells us in this passage this morning is that we can have an unchangeable hope. Because these promises are from God, we can do what he's urged us to do throughout this letter, which is to have faith in the promise. In verse 18, he goes on to say, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that's set before us. And so he's telling them, you need to have faith in this promise of God. He's reminding them that God has always kept his word, even when it seemed impossible. And he says that this promise of God is sure also. This promise of salvation that's found in Jesus Christ, it's a promise that is final and that's sure and that's secure. And just like our forefathers counted on God's faithfulness to his promises in the past, he says we can count on his faithfulness to his promises today. And he's promised us salvation and life in Christ. He says you can count on it. The problem is that perhaps they had misunderstood what God's promise meant. Because God's promise was never based on the fact that they had the blood of Abraham. I mean, is that not what they're sort of relying upon? If they're going to say, let's go back and practice Judaism. It's that, hey, we're sons of Abraham. We're in the line of Abraham. We're God's chosen people. I'm going to rely on the fact that I'm a descendant of Abraham for my relationship with God. But God's promise is unchanging. In verses 17 and 18, again, he says, God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He says God's purpose here is, is unchanging. His purpose was always to have a people from all over the world who would come and worship him as God. It was clear in the promise that he gave to Abraham that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. It was clear even when they built the temple in Jerusalem and Solomon dedicated the temple. This was the prayer that he offered to God in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 41. He says, even for the foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, they will hear of your great name, your strong hand, your outstretched arm, and they will come and pray toward this temple. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all the foreigner asked. Then all the peoples of the earth will know your name, to fear you as your people Israel do, and to know that this temple I have built bears your name. Even when he was building the temple where the Jewish people would come and worship, he was praying for all the foreign people that were not of Jewish descent that would come and worship God there. 
It was clear in the call that God placed on Jonah's life not to go to Israel, but to go to Nineveh and preach. It was clear in the New Testament when you see Jesus in his righteous anger overturning the, the tables in the court of the Gentiles because they were selling and because there was all this noise of the, all the animals that were there that were preventing the nations of coming into the court of Gentiles, the one place where they could come and worship God. And what does Jesus say? He says to them then, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. It's clear in the Great Commission when he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. It's clear in the book of Revelation when you have the, the gathering around the throne of people from every tribe and tongue and nation that are there worshiping the Lamb. This has always been God's purpose, that his hope was for all the peoples. And this hope has always been through faith in God's promise. What the Bible tells us is that Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It was by faith in the promise of God that Abraham was a child of God. It was never by any works of righteousness on the part of Abraham. And you and I are saved in the same way. Our hope is the same. It's, it's not a hope in our works of righteousness. It, it, it's a hope in the promise of God. It's a hope in the Messiah, Jesus, who has died for our sins and who has rose for our salvation. And so what the author is saying to these Jewish Christians is this hope is not about your Jewish background. It's not about the works of the law. It's about Jesus. And that's an unchangeable hope for us. So when you arrive at verse 19 in our passage this morning, he says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure now, this promise is not yet realized completely because Jesus has not returned again to take us to where he is. It's still hope. But it's not a hope like, I hope it's all going to work out in the end. I hope that, that God's going to come through. It's a hope that is sure and that's steadfast. Author J.I. Packer describes it like this. He says, optimism is a wish without warrant. But Christian hope is a certainty, guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. But Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life, every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. And that it's an anchor for your soul. An anchor that's, that's fixed to the seabed and that holds our life in place no matter which way the waves are crashing against us. And the waves do crash against us, don't they? No matter which way the wind is blowing, no matter if a storm blows up, he says it is firm and it's secure. Why? Because it's based upon Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let that be the place where your hope is firmly established. 
because Christ is an anchor for your soul. And so when things in life aren't going like you hoped they would, or when you're mourning the, the loss of a loved one, or when you get a, a medical diagnosis that, that you weren't hoping for, that you're fixed on Christ. We had that happen in our family this week. We were in the hospital for three days this week with our youngest son, Ransom. Uh, he developed a, an infection that got into his bone and his heel, and it could have been very, very bad. Uh, but, but praise the Lord, the, our doctor caught it early and, and had him on antibiotics. And so they were able to, to just really hit him hard with a lot of really strong antibiotics. And he's going to be okay. But when you hear something like that about your child, you know, that can, that can rock your world. And if your faith is not fixed on Christ in those moments, it can wreck you. And when you hear that sort of news, you can lose all faith or you can hold fast to Christ who has been an anchor for your soul. This is when faith comes into action. And what he tells us is that, that you are firm and that you're secure if Christ is the anchor for your soul. But if you're trusting in your circumstances, your foundation is shaky and it's going to crumble. Because the stock market can take away your retirement nest egg in a hurry. And your health can change in an instant. And I know a lot of people said when COVID stuff began back in 2020, like that was two years ago now, right? Now once this is passed, how many of you ever heard somebody say, now once this is all over, once it's all over, there's going to be something else, right? <laughs> there's going to be a new variant. Or there's going to be high gas prices. Or we're going to be on the verge of World War III. There's going to be something else. And so when everything keeps changing, what you need is an unchangeable hope. And he says that's exactly what Christ is in our lives. And he says that Christ has entered within the veil. In verse 19, he says, he, this hope of ours has entered the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And so he's going back to what he had talked about earlier in Hebrews, that, that we have a, a high priest who is pure and who is holy, that can enter into the very holy of holies on our behalf, who offers a pure and perfect sacrifice, which is his own life, that he's the very son of God. And so he says we can come boldly before the throne of grace because our hope is Christ. And our hope is sure and steadfast. And our anchor holds. Later in Hebrews in chapter 10 verse 23, he says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. And so are we just hoping for a better day, or are we putting our hope in a better promise? Because like Dorothy said, if you were really great and powerful, you'd keep your promises. And God is exactly that. He is great and powerful, and he keeps his promises. And so this morning, there may be some who need to trust in the promise of God in their heart for salvation. 
The Bible tells us that he sent, God sent his very son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. That's what this letter is all about. That he came and he offered himself as a substitute in your place and in my place to pay a debt that, that we were incapable of paying ourselves. Because we have sinned against God and the, and the penalty or the wages of our sin is death. And so Jesus died for us on the cross. But God raised him up on the third day so that we would have victory over death. We'd have victory over our sin. And we'd have victory over hell and over Satan. And that we'd have life in Christ. We'd have a relationship with God. That we'd have, have heaven with God because of Jesus. And this is the promise that he's given to us. It's a promise that can be realized in your heart today if you'll put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. And so in a minute, we're going to have a time of response, and there's going to be some leaders standing here across the front. We're going to be standing and singing. And if this is a decision you need to make in your heart, then I want you to come and to share that with one of these leaders to say, I need to make this decision in my life today to trust in this promise of God that I can be forgiven of my sins, that I can be made new, that I can be washed clean, that I can become a child of God. That can be true in your heart today if you'll believe in the promise of God by faith to save you. Christians this morning, the action step for us is to believe God's promise. It's easy to trust in our circumstances. We, we see those things. It, it's easy to follow God when things seem to be going well. But are you going to believe God's promise when it's hard? When, the, when your five-year plan didn't, didn't turn out like you thought it was going to. When you get that bad news, are we going to trust in Christ as an anchor for our souls? And so perhaps this morning you want to spend some time in prayer about things that are, that are weighing on your heart. Things that are discouraging you. Things that you're anxious about. That you want to give to the Lord. And to say, God, I want to trust you in this. I want to believe you with these things. So you want to pray at your altar, at this altar or there at your seats and to say to God, I want to believe in your promises. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today that you are great and powerful and that you keep your promises. God, we love you. And Lord, we don't deserve, Lord, your love. We don't deserve... Lord, these promises, but you're a good God who cares for us, who's provided for us. And Lord, today, I pray for those who are here that may be having difficulties, struggles, worries, that they're anxious about various things, they're, things aren't going like they thought that they would. That God, today, they would find that you are a sure and secure anchor for their souls, that they would put their faith in your promises, Lord, that, that they would trust in your word, Lord, that their faith, Lord, would be uh, put into action as they come to these hard places. God, I pray for those who are here that have never trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, that today that they would believe in your promise for the first time, to be saved, and to follow after you as as their Savior, as their Lord and King of their life. That they would receive these promises into their heart this morning. And so, Lord, move during this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.